Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Scripture for today's teaching is Mark 9, 14 through 29. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is the word of God to us. Amen. Y'all have a seat. Hey, good morning, friends. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Brandon. I get to serve as one of the pastors uh, here at the church. And uh, man, it's, it's been really sweet to worship with you all this morning and uh, really excited to, to step into this moment today. Um, hey, we're in a, a series uh, in the Gospel of Mark. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and open to Mark 9. If not, that's okay. Uh, we're going to have a lot of text uh, on the screen. But before we jump in today, I just want to pray for us. And, uh, and then we'll get to work. So, Jesus, uh, we want to we come to you with open hands. And, um, and uh, God, we want to we come, and, uh, and as, we, as we step in, into this text, God, to wrestle uh, with, with our faith, God, and with our doubts, God. We just want to ask that you would meet us. God, we, we need you, and, um, and we don't need... Um, we don't need me to be clever. We don't need um, pastoral anecdotes. We need you. We need your presence. We need your wisdom. We need you to speak to us today. And so, God, our hands are open. And um, so, Lord, I pray in, in this time that we have this morning uh, that, that it would be beneficial 
uh, to all of us in this room and, uh, and that this time would be glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, if, you are, if you're new with us today uh, or if you've slept in the last week, uh, I want to just try to, to catch you up as best as, as I can. Um, I know we're like halfway through the book, so it's hard to do like a total recap. Um, so I can give you kind of the, the snapshot and tell you where we've been the, the last couple of weeks. Um, where we have been, uh, just uh, to be brief, is, is kind of a really pivotal point in Mark's gospel. Um, we've been in a place uh, where, for at least from the disciples' standpoint, uh, finally, halfway through the gospel, they're starting to get some things, right? Like there's some things are starting to click. They're starting to see a little bit more clearly who Jesus is. Some lights are starting to come on. Just a few, but lights nonetheless. Um, so if you think back uh, just a couple of chapters or just one chapter, chapter eight, uh, there's this interaction between Jesus and his disciples where Jesus is saying, hey, who, who are people saying that I am? And they give all sorts of answers, but then he says, hey, who do you say I am? And, and this is where you have Peter's confession. You are the Christ, right? And then last week, we looked at the Mount of Transfiguration, where we have another confession, but this time uh, it's not uh, the disciples. This time it's God the Father confirming who Jesus is, saying, hey, this is my son. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. So last week, we saw a literal mountaintop experience, and then this week, we're going to come down from the mountain. We're going to come down from the mountain. And what we're going to see from this point forward is that Jesus, as Luke's gospel would tell us, Jesus is going to set his face towards Jerusalem, and from here on out, Jesus is going to be heading towards the cross, right? And so, uh, so from here on out, the next several chapters Jesus' road is going to be a lot more difficult. It's going to be a lot more treacherous. It's going to be a whole lot darker. But when you're coming down from the mountaintop, that's not really a concern, is it? When you're on top of the mountain, uh, you're fired up and you're ready to go. And, and, uh, And last week, we watched this scene play out where Peter and some of the other disciples got to see Jesus transfigured in glory before their eyes, right? They saw a couple of dead guys show up um, which, you know, they were probably like, hey, you, you probably think that this is going to be the thing you tell your friends about, but we're here to say, like, Jesus is the whole point, so tell your friends about him instead of us. Um, and then, if that's not enough, like, then there's also the audible voice of God that speaks down over uh, this whole situation. And so this is a pretty legit mountaintop experience. I know that the disciples get, like, a ton of grief, and everybody rags on Peter, but I get it. Like, I identify with Peter, and uh, I don't care what you say about me. I totally identify with Peter. Like, if I were him, I would also be going. That was awesome. We should live here. Like, let's build a little tent town, and we'll live here with those ghosts and Jesus, and we're just going to call it good. This is what we'll do from now on. And there's a way that we can come away from that text on the mountaintop and just feel all of that momentum and all of that surge of energy, even with the, the cross looming on the horizon, like we all know it's coming, right? And, and that momentum and that fired up sort of like raw, raw energy can be the thing that sort of drives us and pushes us where, where you're on top going like, hey, which hill are we going to take next? But the question today is not which hill are we going to take next. The question today is, 
what do you do when you have to come down from the mountaintop, right? What do you, what do, you do when you have to come down from the mountaintop? Um, any of you that know me know that I was a, a pretty legit 90s Christian kid, like uh, that was the real deal. And if you doubt my street cred, like I saw recently that pogs were making a comeback, pogs, anyone? Um, I had 100% uh, Christian pogs from Mardell's. Um, so like everybody had like a metal slammer. I had a, just a really thick plastic slammer that said God rules with a Z. So I thought like God hates all kinds of metal. He hates it in music. He hates it in slammers. And, um, but that was my, that was my upbringing. Like, like I had Christian pogs. And so like that was, that, that's my background. And I think it's always good in the right time to like poke fun at the silly things in nineties Christian subculture. But if I'm being totally honest with you, like when I look back, man, that was a time in my life during my teenage years um, where, honestly, those were some of the most formative years of my life. Those were some of the years in my life where Jesus really captured my heart. Um, and, I, and I grew up, I was so blessed to have a family that loved me and loved Jesus. And we went to a church that loved Jesus and loved students. And, and so I looked back at, you know, some of the, the camps and retreats that we did and that were by no means perfect um, but man, those are some of the times and places where for the first time in my life, um, I can remember really experiencing the presence and the power of God in real profound ways. And, um, and I, can, I can remember even as a, a teenager thinking about those times as, as mountaintop experiences and going like, man, I don't want to leave. I don't want to go home from this. And, uh, and then just kind of come into the realization, like, you, you know, I have to. I can't live here. That would be weird. And, uh, and so got through cry night and got on a bus to go back home. And, uh, and I can just remember thinking, like, the, the thought that I had was like, okay, I'm going back home. Like, which hill are we going to take next, right? And just thinking like, okay, got two-a-day football practice coming up. We're going to school in a, in a week. Um, what's next? And, uh, and I remember as a teenager just being so fired up to go into the darkness and try to, try to be a light, try to love my friends, try to really follow Jesus in hard places, and, and being able to kind of ride this wave for a couple of weeks and, uh, and wake up before school and read my Bible and pray and, and go to, to school and try to walk in the way of Jesus. And I remember being able to do that, and then, and then a week went by, another week went by, and, and following Jesus just got a little bit harder and a little bit harder and a little bit harder. And uh, what I started to realize is, as I got kind of into the school year, it would be just like, man, it's, it's a little bit darker out here than I remembered it being. And so as I, as I continue to try to follow Jesus, I just realized, man, like, man, this is harder than I remembered. It's darker out here than I remembered. And then, and then some of the, the people that I had locked arms with, and we were going to take some of these hills together, they would start to backslide, and they would start to fall back into some old sinful patterns. So I'd get discouraged, and I'd start to get cynical, and then I'd start to backslide, and I'd start to fall into old sinful patterns. So I'd get just full of shame, and I'd start to get bummed out, and then pretty soon I was right back where I started, just wondering, like, how did I get here? Like, just a few weeks ago, like, I was at camp. I was on this mountaintop in the presence of God thinking, man, all of my, all of my trust is in Jesus. I never thought that I would struggle again, right? 
I thought that I had this figured out. I thought I'd be so strong. Why in the world is it so hard to follow Jesus, right? And then, like most of you in this room, I became an adult. I figured things out, and now following Jesus is super easy, right? (laughs) No. If anything, it's harder, and it's more complex, and now there are just bills to pay, right? But, but I'm, I'm so aware of my flesh. It's alive and well, right? There's opposition, and it's coming from every angle. And I realize regularly, hey, I, I thought that following Jesus would be different. And it's just, it's just not. It's gotten more difficult. And I thought I would hit my stride. I thought I would get the hang of this at some point, and, and I haven't. If anything, it's harder. It hasn't gotten easier And what we're going to see in this text today is that as Jesus and a few of his disciples come down this mountain, they experience the very same thing that we experience. They experience real life. They go from the the presence of God into the presence of a demon, right? They step into some, some real darkness. And what we get from Jesus in this text is a reset for those of us who are experiencing not a mountaintop but a valley, a valley. So today I want want us to look at two invitations and a promise from this text that I think are gonna help us to reset our expectations around following Jesus. So two invitations. First one, expect discipleship to Jesus to be hard. Expect discipleship to Jesus to be hard. Look at Mark 9, verse 14. So Jesus, Peter, James, John, they're coming down from the mountain. And when they came to the rest of the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. So the very first thing that I notice here is that uh, this is hard. The difficulty level for for Jesus' ministry has been cranked to 11 in the last few chapters. If you think back, um, I think it's chapter 5, and a a woman uh, comes uh, up to Jesus, and uh, she's been sick for a very long time, and her strategy is, I'm going to creep up on Jesus, and and I'm going to creep up from behind, and I'm just going to touch his clothes. Like, that's my plan. And uh, and maybe if I do that, I'll be healed. And that's exactly how it plays out. Like, it's that simple. She touches Jesus' garments, and she's healed. And now we're in a place where um, things don't seem so easy. Now we're in a place where, where Jesus comes down the mountain and his disciples are experiencing religious op- opposition as they're arguing with uh, the scribes, right? They're getting pushed back and they're being challenged by the scribes. And at the very same time, they're experiencing spiritual opposition as they try and try and try to cast out a demon. And, uh, and it's not just that they're bad at multitasking and they're going to eventually get it right. It's that none of it's going well, right? Like, like they're having an argument and it's, it's not going well and they just can't help this kid. And so none of it's going well. It's gotten harder. And we've established like that's, that's gonna be the road for Jesus, right? Jesus' road is gonna get harder. He's going to the cross. But 
it's also going to get harder for his disciples. If being a disciple is what? Being a follower of Jesus? It means that if Jesus' road gets harder, that so do his disciples' road. That's going to get harder too. Maybe you're here today and that surprises you. Um, Maybe you thought like me that at some point following Jesus would get easier. Um, But that's not the reality. And that's not a secret. That's not something that we're shy about or embarrassed about. Jesus is pretty upfront about this. Like a few verses ago, he said, hey, if you want to follow me, it means you've got to take up your cross and follow me. And Jesus didn't mean like all my followers need to get little necklaces with lowercase t's and like we're going to wear those around. That's how we're going to do ministry. Jesus meant, hey, like you need to take up like the instrument of, of uh, crucifixion, right? Your instrument of death uh, in Matthew's gospel. During the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to follow me, here's how he describes that road. He says, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. At the end of his life, he's he's talking to his disciples and he says, hey, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Peter, one of these disciples, later writes to the church and he says, hey, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Paul writes to a a young pastor, he says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And we could go on and on and on. Bottom line is discipleship to Jesus is hard. It's hard. And I want to be careful to say that really clearly. That's reality. But I also don't want to say that flippantly um, in a way that diminishes any, like, you know, this is just what it is, Right? What'd you expect? This is what you signed up for, right? Like you should have just read the fine print. Hey, here's the reality. This dad brought his child to Jesus. He and the disciples are facing really, really hard opposition. And it's not because God had turned his back on them. It's not because God wasn't really in control. It's not because uh, they'd done something wrong to deserve it. It's because the enemy of God is trying to destroy the image of God in this little boy. And if you side with Jesus, Jesus' enemies, Satan's sin and death, are now your enemies. It's a package deal. And so, listen, you need to know if you're in a place like that, if you're suffering, if the road is hard for you today, you need to know that the heart of God towards you is compassionate and it's kind, but you also need to know this is not a surprise to him. And it's not not a surprise because he's like the watcher and he's just like creepily watching over you and, you know, knows what's about to happen. It's because in its essence, discipleship to Jesus is following Jesus. And if your road is hard today for you and me as we follow behind him, just remember, hey, he's already been there. We sang this earlier He's walked this road before us, and he's walking with us still. Hey, do you know that if you are experiencing some kind of opposition today, hey, Jesus experienced opposition. 
If you're grieving, you've lost someone. Jesus lost people. You had family members who've forsaken, walked away from you. Jesus had family members walk away from him. Jesus was slandered by his enemies, just like you and me. Think you've been abandoned by your friends? Jesus was abandoned by his friends when he needed them the most. Jesus has experienced every kind of temptation that you and I experience. He knows what it's like to be sad and angry and weak. Discipleship to Jesus is hard, yes. But friends, we get to run the race with our eyes fixed on a suffering servant who has run the race before us. He ran it well. He endured And he's at the finish line. We fix our eyes on him, not some distant, far-off deity who can't relate to us, who refuses to draw near to us in our time of trouble. He has run the race before us, and he ran the race for us. So where, where you're exhausted and you feel like you really can't go on today, he will carry you. So yes, the, the way of Jesus is hard He's been there. He's with you now. Second invitation that we have in this text is to trust Jesus with the faith you have. Trust Jesus with the faith you have. Look at verse 28. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could, why could we not cast it out? Talking about this demon. Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Um, okay, here's, here's why I think this matters. Um, the disciples, um, back in Mark 6, the disciples are sent out by Jesus, and they're given authority to heal and to cast out demons. And, um, and it's, not, it's, it's not their authority. It's Jesus' authority. Jesus had delegated this authority to them, right? He didn't teach them a spell. Or there was no incantation. They were still to be reliant on him, not their skill or intellect, but Jesus. And, uh, and so, nevertheless, we find ourselves here at the, the end of this passage, and the disciples are, are asking and going, hey, we, you know, we were doing this thing, and it was going fine, and now we can't do the thing. What gives? Like, what are we doing wrong? What are we missing? And Jesus responds, you just needed to pray. You needed to pray. Am I the only one that feels like that's a really weird answer? Or that, or like that's too simple. Or like, like I read that, like upon second reading, you're going like, wait a minute, were they, the disciples not know how to pray before this? Like, was there not an instance where they had prayed? Like, of course there was. Like they were healing people. They were casting out demons. The disciples knew how to pray and they had been praying. Um, so what, what was going on? What are, what's, what's Jesus telling them to do? A lot of commentators have weighed in. Um, here, here are some of the thoughts that, that uh, different people have. Um, one idea is maybe this was a certain kind of demon, just super strong and really powerful, and it just required a certain kind of prayer that's also really strong and powerful, and it was just a kind of prayer that the disciples hadn't learned yet. Okay, that's probably not the answer, because um, that's dumb. Um, <laughs> Uh, Tertullian, uh, who's an early church father, and, and some, some of the other, uh, you know, kind of first, second century church fathers had some other ideas. Great, great, uh, wise people, um, but not perfect. 
as is the case with this line of thought. Uh, they thought, hey, maybe Jesus actually told the disciples, hey, you need to pray and fast. And the gospel writers just all forgot to write down that he said and fast. So if he, if he had said like, hey, you should have fasted too, that would have done the trick. Um, so also probably not uh, the right answer. And there are a ton of other ideas out there right? Like maybe they could have done this too. Maybe there were some things they left out um, because what Jesus is saying here seems way too simple. Like it can't just be prayer. Like that's, that's too easy, Jesus. So there has to be fasting or like, you know, super prayer for super demons. Um, but it couldn't just be prayer, right? Um, but what's happening? Jesus comes down the mountain, right? What are the disciples doing? They're arguing with the scribes, right? Um, it's, it's not like they were doing something really spiritual, but it just wasn't the right spiritual thing. They're just arguing with the scribes. And then Jesus goes on to rebuke them. He calls them faithless generation, faithless generation. And then we get to the end of the story and the disciples are asking Jesus, hey, why couldn't we cast it out? And I think that Jesus' response to them is less of a a theological framework for how to cast out certain kinds of demons. And it's more of a continuation of his rebuke. Because when I read this with fresh eyes, I sense a little bit of sarcasm in Jesus' voice. And the disciples are like, Jesus, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus is like, I don't know, guys. What if you prayed? I don't know. (sighs) What do I know? Like like maybe it turns out that winning an argument with the scribes isn't the way to cast out a demon. Like what are the odds that the answer would be prayer? Like the thing that it's always been, right? Right? But it seems so simple. Obviously, it seemed really simple to the disciples, but in the words of Edward Schweitzer, they were not able to perceive that what is the simplest and most taken for granted is really most important since it causes one to cease looking at himself and look to God. Mark wants to proclaim that this kind of discipleship does not result from the effectiveness of one's own piety, but only from the action of God. So yeah, maybe prayer is too simple of an answer, but that's the whole point. It's to get us out of the driver's seat and let Jesus back in. Now here's the other interesting thing about this whole thing. Uh, Jesus, he, he does cast out the demon, um, but he does not pray, which is interesting because he, he gets on the disciples for not praying. Uh, so you'd expect there to be prayer. And in fact, in this passage, no one prays, at least not how we'd expect them to, right? Nobody at any point folds their hands or says, dear heavenly father, we humbly beseech thee. Like there's no King James like prayer, but here's what there is. There's a dad who comes to Jesus and he's at the end of his rope and he, and he comes and he comes like this. He, just says like, hey, I have this son and, and we, have, we have no hope. No one can help him. I can't do anything about this. Your disciples can't do anything about this. I'm sure the scribes can't help, but I think maybe you can do something about it. And so I'm here and, um, and I'm asking for your help, Jesus. 
And if, if that's not a prayer, I don't know what is. Because unlike the disciples who seem to be just trusting in themselves, right? They, they show up, they're trying to win an, win an argument with the scribes. They're trying to cast this demon out based on their own clout and the fact that they've been able to do it in the past. This dad comes and he's trusting in Jesus. And he says, hey, if you can, and I love that Jesus' response is like, hey, the question isn't, can I? Like, everything you see here, I created it with a word. I, I can do it. The question is, like, do you have faith in me? And then we get this really incredible response. Look at verse 24. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. It's so amazing. So amazing. Here's what this tells me. This tells me that in those times when following Jesus is really, really hard. I mean, really hard. And all that I can muster up is a prayer. And I I don't mean like a good prayer. I mean like a a half-hearted prayer. Like one where I'm able to just sort of like get in the door of prayer and just be like, Jesus, I'm praying now. And that's it. And that's like all I've got. Like notice, like, like the faith of, of this dad, here's how much faith he had. I came to you, Jesus. Like that's all. Like that, that's, that's what I've got. Like, like I knew that, that it wasn't enough for me to, to fast or to recite a bunch of, of psalms. Um, I knew that I, I couldn't be pious enough. I can't do anything, but I think that maybe you can. So I'm here, Jesus. I'm standing in front of you. That's how much faith I've got. And um, maybe you're here today, and that's how much faith you've got. You're here, and that's about all you can do. You're like, man, I, I rolled out of bed today, and I got myself dressed and, uh, and I'm sitting in a church right now. And now I'm done. Maybe there are days when you wake up and you say, God, I'm, I'm praying. And this is all the faith I've got. And um, I, don't, I don't know if I believe too much of this stuff, but I'm praying. Um, and you know what his response is in that moment? Hey, that's enough. That's enough. The rest of that that prayer can be, hey, God, help me in my unbelief. Help me in my unbelief. Jesus is inviting you and I to trust him like this father. Like even if it's with the smallest amount of faith, right? There's no cosmic scale where you just got to have like a little bit more faith. No, no, no. Even if you're like, hey, there's so much more unbelief than there is faith. In Matthew and Luke's account of this story, um, we, get, we get a little... Uh, a little extra in Jesus' interaction with the disciples um, towards the end. He says, truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And there's a way we could take that in a weird direction, but what Jesus is saying plainly in that moment is you just have to have a little bit of faith. Just a little bit. And if you do, it counts, right? It counts, not because your faith is powerful, because he is, right? Because he is. Hey, you know what? I think in this story, I think that the disciples probably had more faith 
than this dad had. I think the disciples probably had more faith. It just wasn't in Jesus. It was in them. It was in the fact that, hey, we've done this before. We're just going to show up. But this dad came with small faith, mustard seed faith. And he said, man, I don't have much of it, but I'm showing up to Jesus. He's my only option. He's all I've got. He's my only hope. Jesus invites us to trust in him with whatever you've got today, even if it is mustard seed faith. So we end this sermon right now. Um, I feel like this is a little bit of a downer, um, but Jesus doesn't leave us hanging, right? Like, yes, there are times that following Jesus is hard and we've got we've to trust him even when we've got a ton of doubt. Um, but, but the most important thing we get in all of this is a glimpse at where it's all leading, what it's building to, the fact that the cost of discipleship, the cost of, of trusting in Jesus is not in vain. So look with me at verse 25. So when Jesus saw that a a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Here's what I want to say in closing. Um, Today, some of you in this room might be at a crossroads in your faith where you feel like following Jesus is so costly and so hard. You might feel like you're hanging by a thread. Um, You may feel like you you don't know if you want to say yes to Jesus anymore. Maybe you don't feel like you even have the strength to say yes Uh, to Jesus anymore. Maybe you're exhausted, you have doubts, you're mad, whatever it is. Um, I'm not going to tell you that it's going to get easier. Notice that when Jesus starts to help this boy, things seem like they go from bad to worse, right? Jesus is helping and things escalate to the point that the boy, you know, appears to be dead or maybe he he possibly even does die. Hey, listen, today, that, that might be your story. Like things might be hard right now, and they might actually get worse for you. And I, and I want to say, like, full disclosure, there's a lot of stuff out there, um, a, lot, a lot out there that's promising um, escape. There's a lot out there that's, that's promising uh, numbness or, or a quick fix. But there's a, there's a reason why there are 50 streaming services out there instead of just one. Right? Like, there's nothing in this world that can deliver on those promises. And, and yet we, we keep, we keep uh, gorging ourselves with more and more stuff. And at the end of the day, we're right back where we started, worse off than before. Empty, longing. Here's the difference. For this dad and for this little boy, Things get worse, but notice at the end, it's no longer the demon that has a grip on this child. Notice at the end of this text, it's no longer the darkness that has a hold of this boy. It's no longer death that has a grip on this child. Jesus 
has him by the hand. So friends, here's the promise today. The grip of God will hold. Hey, you should be aware that discipleship to Jesus is gonna be hard and you should trust him in that. Like you should trust him and cling to him with everything you've got, even if there's a ton of doubt in there, even if things don't get better, even if they get worse. But you should also know that when you trust in Jesus, he has you by the hand and he will not for a second lose his grip on you. The grip of God will hold, will hold. In this text, this boy dies and he's raised in order for Jesus to defeat this enemy. But in his own death and resurrection, Jesus was victorious over Satan, sin, and death. And the day is coming when those enemies will be utterly destroyed. That's why Jesus tells his followers that even in, even in tribulation, in the, in the worst kind of tribulation, he says, hey, you can take heart. And here's why. Because he's overcome the grave. He's overcome the world. That's why 2 Corinthians 4, Paul, Paul talks about the difficulty of following Jesus, but he talks about it as a, as a light momentary affliction, a light momentary affliction that's nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory that's coming for you and me. And again and again throughout scripture, we're encouraged not to give up, not to grow weary, reminded that he who started something good in us began a good work. He's faithful. He's going to finish what he started. But here's where I want to end today, friends. John, uh, the disciple of Jesus, uh, one who knew a thing or two about suffering. One of, one of the disciples who actually went up the mountain with Jesus uh, and saw him transfigured and had now gone down into the valley, uh, towards the end of his life, he saw this vision. And, uh, and from a place of deep darkness and exile and suffering and faith, this is, this is what we read. He says, I saw a new heaven. And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Hey, friends, the day is coming, not a day of escape where we're going to be removed from here and taken up to live on a mountaintop for all eternity, where we're going to be taken up to live in the clouds forever and ever. The day is coming where God is going to bring his kingdom here, where the places that were dark and lowly are not going to be dark and lowly anymore. And all the, all the tears that you've cried and all the pain that you've felt and the victories that our enemy seems like he's won. They're all going to be wiped away because he is making all things new.